0: An Argentine free zone this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 236 of the Internet's Finest English Language Argentine football podcast. Um, the emphasis this week is on English language because for the first time in a while we don't have any Argentines present in the studio. Um, I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by my fellow English person Peter uh, Peter Crouch. <laughs> That's not right, is it? Peter yeah, really. Peter.
1: Yeah, I'm oh. excited about the prospect of Crouchy being on <laughs> and they get with me. Um, yeah, it's been quite some time so pleasure to be back.
0: Indeed, your first appearance of the season,
1: you said on Twitter. Yeah, well well, I I think, I'm pretty sure it is.
0: Um, We'll go over the results from last weekend, as we normally do at the beginning um, of the podcast. Oh no, we won't do, won't we? we? Because there weren't any results last weekend in the Premier Era. We'll go over the uh, World Cup qualifying results, that's what I meant to say. um, Which I'm going to have to do off the top of my head, because I can't find the... Oh, there it is. Um, Hang on a second... Here we go. So last Thursday, we had the following in round nine, nine, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Ecuador beat Chile 3-0 in Quito. Uh, Uruguay beat Venezuela 3-0 in Montevideo. Colombia got a late winner through Edwin Cardona against Paraguay in Asunción, away from home. Uh, Brazil demolished Bolivia 5-0 in um, Natal. And in Lima, Peru and Argentina drew 2-2. That was then followed on Tuesday by several more 2-2 draws. Well, no, in fact, not several more. Exactly two more 2-2 draws. Uh, Bolivia versus Ecuador finished 2-2 in La Paz. Uh, Colombia versus Uruguay finished 2-2 in Barranquilla. Argentina lost at home in a World Cup qualifier for only the fourth time ever, but the second time in the last 13 months. 1-0 at home to Paraguay. Chile got a 2-1 win over Peru, and Brazil beat Venezuela 2-0 away from home in, um, it wasn't Caracas, Merida, in Merida, where it was uh, quite wet, and it might be quite wet here in Buenos Aires uh, by the time we finish recording, because it's very humid, and there are some very pregnant-looking clouds up there, but for the moment the rain is holding off, so we shall keep you up to date with the weather conditions outside my window, naturally. Um, we will start, I think we'll sort of try and go over the, the all of the, the, the qualifiers briefly, but let's start, first of all, by going in-depth on um, Argentina, which, of course, is what people are listening to us for, because it's what we actually know about, Peter. In general, over the course of the two matches, it
1: wasn't the
0: best couple of performances that we've witnessed from the national team since moving here, was it?
1: There's probably ranks up there with two of the worst, uh, if we're honest. Um... And I think the the, the the most frustrating thing for me was the lack of things learnt from the first match. Mm. In that the performance against Peru was dreadful. Managed to get a draw from it, um, and then Bowser basically repeated the mistake um, on Tuesday night. And
0: yeah, it, it was it was very weird. It was. Um I guess the, the most obvious example of, of that was that Boussa himself said on Monday that um, he didn't feel that, that Dybala had, had been able to uh, um, express himself freely on the right wing away to Peru. And then when Dybala eventually was put on the pitch against uh, Paraguay, it was replacing Nicolas Gaetan on the right wing. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the substitutions were, were sort of very hard to fathom. And, and how long they took and go back to Thursday night's game against Peru and quite clearly from kickoff, mm. the midfield wasn't fun- the lack of a midfield was apparent um, the, the, the double five of Cranavetra and Mascherano was completely cut off from anyone further forward um, Aguero looked was anonymous but just looked completely at odds with the role that he was given Um, and Dibola who had actually done quite well in that number 10 role before he got sent off against Uruguay was then shifted out to play on the right with Di Maria doing his now quite customary sort of frustrating role of giving the ball away and not doing a great deal constructive now went more than an hour I think before Bowser even made a change and then when he did he took Diabella off for Correa so it seems on Thursday on, against Germany. yeah in, in the first game which again sort of rather than change the actual structure of the team more or less just put like for like and stuck someone else out onto the to the right okay Correa can maybe play out wide mm. better than or is more used to playing there than Diabella but he wasn't going to change the flow of the game I mean Argentina needed to get a grip of the ball and that wasn't going to happen from doing that. Um, and it wasn't until very late on when he brought Benegra on when there was someone who actually looked to link up the play and was comfortable with the ball at, the ball at their feet. Um, so you kind of felt as though the Peru game perhaps was a learn, one to learn from. Take the point in slightly fortuitous circumstances. You know, I know they were the ones that he actually equalised, but... He, it would be hard pushed to say that Argentina deserved anything more than that. Yeah, um, but I, I felt there were so many things there to look at and say, okay, well, Aguero in that position doesn't work. Um, he did, I guess, address, address the midfield by by adding Benega instead of Tranvita, but again, it was just such a such a bad bad performance, and then again, didn't react during the game to actually make the changes.
0: Yeah. Um... Tuesday, I think, was the particular sort of nadir. I saw a certain, I don't know, improvement in the second half against, um, against Peru on, on Thursday. Uh, modest, but, you know, there, there was some kind of a reaction. On Tuesday, we didn't see that at all. Maybe the first five minutes of the second half when Argentina stormed forward and got the penalty, which or then saw saved. Um, but after that, it was, you know, clueless. We had a broken team, um, which, as I've said before, uh, on hand of pot, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with um, with a broken team, sort of, if, if that's how it's set up, and particularly if you're setting up to counter attack. But it's not really the right way to go about it when you're chasing an equaliser and, and when you're dominating um, possession in that way. I mean, the last 20 minutes or so, Argentina's main midfield playmaker was Javier Maschurano the midfield consisted of Javier Mascherano yeah, exactly. and then There were and, you know, four number nines on the pitch way up there and, and Di Maria doing this sort of weird linking thing trying to link Mascherano with, with the well the left wing obviously he wasn't really playing anywhere else um,
1: and, that, and that for me typified the kind of clueless attempt at trying to salvage something which was just simply if I keep Aguero on the pitch with Higuain throw in Prato yeah <laughs>
0: um
1: we've got so many number eight nines on the pitch, we must score a goal. Well, once again, you haven't addressed the, the underlying problem, which has been apparent for the whole of the two games, which is the na- a lack of a midfield.
0: And it's it's particularly bizarre because it's not like, you know, it, you would have expected this, and indeed we saw it uh, from time to time, when Diego Maradona was managing or when Sergio Batista was managing. But Edgardo is, you know, demonstrably a decent manager. You can... Possibly debate whether or not he's uh, the absolute best man, best Argentine um, manager today. But under the circumstances, and given who was available, and given the names who publicly and, and privately said that they didn't want the job, Balser wasn't a bad candidate when he was he was given the role. And um, so far, it's, it's difficult to say, you know, is he out of his depth? Is he being enthralled to the players or, or what? It, it's very peculiar. Um The other thing was that after the the match ended, we heard some things from uh, certain players, particularly the the big-name players, or um, as the press have now, and certainly the the Twitterati have taken to calling them um, Messi's friends, um, which in other teams and at other moments would sound very much like certain players are saying it could be the end of their time with the national team. I'm thinking particularly of Sergio Aguero and Ángel Di Maria, who both admitted that they were very poor last night, both admitted they didn't really deserve the call-up. In Di Maria's case, said that he wasn't playing well for his club as well. Um, and Aguero said that if he doesn't get called up next month, then he'll understand completely because he's... Tra- I mean, that's, those aren't the words of players who are really thinking we have to keep fighting for our places.
1: No, they're not. And it's a difficult one for Bowser, I mean... He's now in this situation where there's a growing number of voices who are saying, "Ditch all of those players mm. that you've mentioned. They've had they've had a chance now. Get rid of them." Um, now, maybe in the case of Di Maria saying, "I haven't been playing very well for my club team," perhaps you can make an argument there to say, "All right, well, I'll leave him out of my next squad." It's more it's more difficult to do that when, for example, Aguero scored something like eleven goals in eight games under, under Guardiola and, and Higuaín's scoring... And, and Higuaín will, without question, score a huge number of goals for Juventus. Hmm. So at the end of the season is very difficult. If especially Well, it's very difficult if the results aren't also going well to justify leaving those players out. Um, so I get that it, it is difficult, but you do feel as though something does need to be done because... These these two games and it's all very well saying oh well Messi wasn't there, but you can't just have the team now saying we we're so reliant on Messi that when he doesn't play, we're absolutely crap.
0: Indeed. So I'm going to go through now, Peter, and just give me your opinion, and I'll give a little bit of my own opinion as well um, on whether each of last night's starting eleven should or should not stay in the team. Now it's worth pointing out before I mention this, especially as a lot of listeners might not have managed to watch the game, you know. Lots of year in Europe and obviously it was a uh, rather late at night there so you know for whatever reason loads of people might have missed it so it's worth mentioning um just before I go through this formation that the defense against Paraguay was uh very much sort of second string um because Pablo Sabaleta um Nicolás Otamendi. Otamendi and Ramiro Funek Mori all picked up yellow cards against Peru last Thursday which meant that they were suspended for the Paraguay game um also means they're back for Colombia and Brazil next month, of course, so possibly those yellow cards might have not been entirely accidental. Uh, but still, that's what happened. So, in goal, first of all, Sergio Romero. Is he solid in, in his current Argentina position?
1: For me, no. I mean, I know, for, for me, there's there's a, there's a problem that Argentina now has. This mentality that... A certain group of players have have come so close to to winning major honours that they kind of haven't done anything to to warrant being dropped. Um, And so the argument you get with Romero is he's not done anything personally in a game to justify not playing him.
0: Mm -hmm. But I think,
1: for me, the issue with that is it seems to be just waiting for the moment when he does do, so, which is inevitable. The goalkeepers are going to make mistakes, and at that po- and and it's going to be at that point when everyone says, "All right, we'll now get rid of him because he doesn't play club football either." So I think there does need to be something set in motion here of finding his long-term replacement. Which is sure. the frustration I have with the squads is they don't even seem to be really addressing that because you get someone like um, Mariano Anduja being the the backup
0: and. Uh... No, well, Guzman was the other those were the two. yeah
1: and I mean where the hell is uh, Rulli in the squad mm-hmm. the guy who I'd say 95% of people see as the successor to Romero should be at least the number two in the squad to be around the group and actually learn the role you now for me when Romero's only only uh, competitive football is basically when he meets up with Argentina there's a problem and for me, it would be a good opportunity to say, okay, well, let's let's start planning for the future. And
0: oh, no. he's playing the Europa League as well, Peter, this is, <laughs> and that's a, a prestigious and important competition, as we all know. Um, no, no, no that, that's that's an interesting take on it. I mean, I, I think that Romero um, should keep his place for now, but I would entirely agree with what you say about Rulli at least being in the squad at the same time. Um, I mean, my
1: point with a lot of the players as well is not not this. Um, as well, when we go through it, but I don't necessarily agree with these very knee-jerk reactions that you tend to get after bad results when people say, "Right, next squad, know this guy," know, you know, and it's basically three quarters of the squad don't select them because I think you're going to end up in an even more of a mess with this hugely <laughs> disjointed and just completely new, new look. Um, but Argentina seemed, for me, failed to actually. Prepare at all for the for the future. And other than Dembele and Correa and Kranjic, we're not seeing the incorporation, even slowly, of of some of the more of some of the better younger players. But anyway, right. we'll go on with the mm-hmm. and we'll come right it. Listen,
0: from right to left across the defence, Gabriel Mercado.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's not the long term answer to the to the right back position necessarily, but has done very well every time. Refer to as well. I
0: have to say, yeah, the, I mean, uh, Savoletta on on Thursday was. Um, sort of seem to drag down the right side of
1: the defence well I think Man City are going to be looking at replacing him he is showing the signs of the age now
0: exactly yeah. I mean it's understandable he's what 32, 33
1: yeah. and again it's another position where you look at it and say okay well Mercado fine as as like to play now now we also need someone else in the squad who can become integrated into the group get used to going away with the group and become familiar with mm. the system. Um, so you know we can discuss who that could be. But
0: Mardine Demichelis, I mean, right
1: centre back. This is the one. I think we can both agree on this one. <laughs> this, this is the one for me, which is staggering that he's even in the squad, considering he had to be coaxed back out of retirement. Um, it's just completely inexplicable. And for him to be starting a game when he hasn't played since May, he doesn't play for Espanyol, who was not blessed for defenders. Um, is is I he Espanyol? Yeah. I thought
0: it was a city stuff. No,
1: exactly. Because he, wow. hasn't, he hasn't, doesn't play, hasn't played a game. And yet starts for Argentina a World Cup qualifier is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And there's just so many... I mean, I mean, for example, the suspensions, they call up Jonathan Maidana just to to get an extra defender into the squad yeah. I'd rather have him there in the first place yeah sure yeah absolutely. so come off it and again there's there's young players who they could have in there wouldn't be necessarily starters but they'd be there and learning what it takes one
0: of whom uh, was the other centre back uh, Matteo Moussacchio on, on Tuesday night who yeah. I think we can agree is uh, one for the future and you know he was to a certain degree at fault for the goal um, yeah. but he's not you know unlike Demi Chalice he's not 36 or 37 years old he's 25
1: yeah 25 or 26
0: um, and and has probably got the, his best years ahead of him
1: uh, yeah, Rochel, he didn't cover himself uh, in glory but for sure should be remaining in the squad
0: yeah Rocko, left back
1: no I mean again he, Ro-
0: he had that stellar sort of year year and a half just starting up the 2014 World Cup um, and I think now he's sort of generally just fallen off a bit of a cliff again really both for club and country
1: exactly yeah and I think similar to Romero in some ways you kind of stick with him because he was you know he was good in the world good at the world cup and got us to we were part of the group that got to the final and you can't point to any howler that he's committed individually but he doesn't play club football when he does he looks awful he's not even a natural fullback anyway so he doesn't provide any any kind of mm. the, the kind of width and overlapping that you want from a fullback um, so it's another position where you think come on can we start looking at alternatives you know Emmanuel Mass uh, is a decent enough alternative now again perhaps isn't the long term solution to the left back position but plays there in natural position every week
0: um, it's kind of a weird one because, I mean, just the same as, as we said before the, the 2014 World Cup um, in our preview, there aren't any really sort of strong contenders in the full-back positions. And yet now we're in a point where I think we can pick both pick out at least one player, I mean, certainly a left-back and probably at right-back as well if you think that Sabaleta is the incumbent. Um, and that Mercado is the competition, that there's at least one player who's probably a better option than the incumbent, in spite of the fact that there aren't exactly loads of,
1: yeah. <laughs> of right
0: and left backs banging down the doors to uh, feature.
1: And and, cru- and I think the crucial thing for me is, even if you're not 100% clear, like, are they a much better option? For me, the, the names that I have in my head are like younger options, who have the potential yeah. to grow into that position. Not someone who, by Russia... In, are going to be in their 30s or you know coming to the end of their career mm. and my problem is they go they take they qualify for Russia with this ageing team which has progressively got older over the last 12 years because it's basically been the same group of who have graduated from the under 20s go to Russia don't win it and then the whole nation says oh yeah we didn't win the World Cup scrap yeah. the lot of them and then we go in with a team. And,
0: and the other thing that, that the reason that it makes it sort of that time isn't an, an issue really is that Russia is going to be Lionel Messi's last World Cup I mean, it might not be his last one but it's certainly going to be his last one at somewhere near his peak yeah. he's going to be thir- he's going to turn 30 if, during the competition yeah. if, if I'm right um, and you know Argentina may or may not end up winning the World Cup with Lionel Messi in the team he, he may or may not manage that but I don't, I, I, it's not hard to, to to argue that they're going to stand a better chance of doing it with him in the team than they will in the generation immediately after he retires. I mean, well, in a way, maybe not. Maybe psychologically, that younger generation, them for for twenty twenty two, and hopefully not Quata, um, will, will feel freed from the shackles of having to win Messi his World Cup. But. Realistically speaking, in terms of just footballing ability, you want to do it while Messi's career, you, you know, you have to aim to do it in Russia if you're going to manage it at all. Um, slightly to that end now, we, we've spoken already of uh, some of the, the older players. Um, the next man up um, is an interesting one, I think. Javier Mascherano. Should he still be in the team? Should he still be in the team in the position wow. he's in?
1: I mean, I don't. This is one which for me is, again, I find very difficult to explain because you look at the situation yesterday both centre-backs suspended Um are having to then call up a reserve centre-back
0: if only they had somebody who played <laughs> centre-back for the last three or four years for one of the best teams in the world and was experienced enough in that position to you know, stick along with Mr Moussakio and, yeah.
1: and I find it inexplicable that no one does it and, and Bows is not alone in this because no Argentina coach seems to ever think
0: No, uh, Mascherano had uh, half a game at centre-back In one of the friendlies, if I remember rightly Before the Copa America Centenario Because somebody got injured or sent right. off or something And he had to make about in the second half And he looked He was driving forward far more than he ever does from midfield He was looking forwards, Obviously because he didn't have anybody behind him to pass to Apart from the goalkeeper um, And he looked perfectly comfortable and at the same time, Argentina's midfield then, and we know that Argentina, under Sabella, they counterattacked a lot. They did so very well, they did so very effectively. They reached a World Cup final. Since then, people sit back against them and make it difficult. Therefore, whether by design or by um, because it's by the opponent's design or by Argentina's own design, Argentina are going to dominate possession in all their games. So why have Javier Mascherano in the centre of midfield when Somebody subtly different, like Matias Cranavita, being the obvious example, um, can then come in at number five with Mascherano just behind him, doing a solid enough job at centre back, um, and make that difference. Exactly. When yeah. when Cranavita, as well, is in, you know, obviously the the long term successor to Mascherano, and I don't think that blooding him alongside Mascherano as they did against Peru, um, is necessarily the best way of. of, of of, of bringing him through I think no. having Mascherano behind him and telling Cranevita this is your role now make it your own um, would be fine I, I don't think Master Mascherano deserves to be dropped um, entirely because he's he, the exception that proves the rule was on Thursday night when his horrendous back pass led to the Peruvian penalty for the equaliser um, but aside from that he, he doesn't really put a foot wrong for Argentina but yeah I mean why they don't play him at what's become his first exactly position yeah.
1: now I, I really don't understand it and Particularly when there's mm. such an apparent dearth of Argentine centre-backs to the extent where Demichelis needs to be called back out of retirement at 35 and though know, not playing club football to play yeah. and, and there's a, quite a lot of people who can play central midfield uh, like you just mentioned Kranivit was there you know he, he called Kasiba
0: right, for Estudiantes who maybe not for Russia but certainly after Russia um, is going to be it's going to be in the conversation as well. Yeah, and without talk. question.
1: And I mean, he's someone who you could even, you know, you could even talk about, like, young players who could start being around the group, mm. even at this point of his career, because he looks like having the potential of having a major impact on the international scene, and I think we'll come on to some of the squad, but Bowser obviously understands that to some extent, because he had Lucas Alario for this squad as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Even though with Higuain back, and Pratt are still there, it was clear Alario wasn't going to play. But Bowser obviously wanted him to come and gain that experience. Mm. So he understood it with him, but there's glaring examples across the squad where he hasn't done it with other people.
0: Cranevita, um, as we've just mentioned, was alongside Masturano against Peru, but alongside Masturano in, in the midfield too um, against Paraguay was Eber Banega, who I think we could agree is, is safe in our putative... Argentina squads of the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, and I think as long as he keeps his head screwed on. Yeah, I think he's seems to have started quite well in Italy, and he, you know, he's someone who who offers something close to being kind of dual function in the in the midfield. Argentina has a lot of kind of <laughs> players who can play as a number five, and then people who are a bit too attacking to trust in the midfield. Mm. Whereas Benega is someone who you can trust. To yep. play in that midfield, yep. so he performs an important role. Um,
0: I'm going to uh, okay, fine. So the right wing, Nicolas Gaetan, decent squad player, exactly good yeah. option from yeah for starting if if somebody's injured or suspended.
1: And in general, any time he's played, has done a decent job.
0: And now I'm going to name the three um, uh, what what the press and, and everybody still insists on calling the three untouchables, in spite of the fact that they're probably the most touchables in the team if only a manager would have the balls to do so, Um, I'll name them all together. Uh, Sergio Agüero, Ángel Di María and Gonzalo Higuaín. Do any, all or none of those deserve to remain in the Argentina squad now?
1: Well, as I said before, there's there's the difficulty here with you go on club form... And maybe Di Maria this season has said himself that he he, he may not warrant a place. Mm. The other two, you go on club form and say, well, you, you kind of have to pick them. Um,
0: I think that there is an argument for going on national team form as well. Sabella there is, very true. famously did it with Tevez, who was frequently fantastic for obviously Manchester United and then for Manchester City and for Juventus, while Sabella was in charge of, of Argentina for yeah for City and Juventus anyway obviously he left United by the time Sabella took charge I think hadn't he yeah yeah um, but who never really impressed for the national team yeah. I mean he impressed the press because the press loved him but um, the truth is that if you sort of looked at the, the games and I, I say the truth what I mean really is that I agree with Sabella <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no
0: <very> funny <laughs> but there's no objectiveness to this, obviously. Um, it, it, it's very subjective. But uh, I happen to agree with Sabella and and, and feel that really Torres didn't uh, do a good enough job after the 2006 World Cup, and and therefore, in spite of him being undeniably one of the best forwards in the world at club football, he wasn't doing enough for Argentina for for whatever reason. You know, not, I'm not saying it was necessarily through any fault of his own. It didn't make sense to keep calling him up. Um, personally, I, I would. Um, not call up Baguero after his two just shocking performances that he's just given um, and I would not call up Di Maria I would give Iguain a little bit longer because he's somebody who has always scored goals um, for the national team obviously apart from the finals that's a bit of an unfortunate one <laughs> but uh, other than that I, I, he's um, a, a, a good player to have around the group I suspect Um yeah, I mean. But Aguero and Di Maria, particularly, you know, and not only because of the performances, but also because, like I already said, the post match interviews last night, they, they seem to, to have accepted it themselves as well.
1: Yeah, and it. First of all, Di Maria is difficult to. to the last really good game he had, I can't quite recall when that was. Um,
0: Sometime in 2012, maybe?
1: 2014? But, but every manager seems to fit him into whichever system they work. Any system, whether it's a 4-3-3, either in the attack of a 4-3-3 or in the midfield of a 4-3-3, now in a 4-2-3-1, tries to just... It's almost like default. Someone on the left, okay, Di Maria, whether it's more more attacking, more defensive. Hmm. But he hasn't really done anything in either of those positions. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's time to... Look at alternatives there, for sure.
0: And again, he's another one who, sort of going back to what I said about Mascherano, when Argentina are going to dominate possession and they're going to have time on the ball and need to think about it, Di Maria isn't yeah, the exactly, man who you yeah. need to be doing that. He, he's, he's a very good... I've said this many, many times, as, as long-term and regular listeners will be aware. Um, he's a very, very good player when you're just pointing him towards the opposing goal and going, leg it up there with the ball and then give it to somebody else. But as soon as you have time on the ball he goes to pieces his yeah. decision making is, is awful You know, we, we saw this uh, uh, well I suppose I mean the, the, the best example really was the, the complete transformation night and day when he moved from Madrid to Louis van Gaal's Man United when Van Gaal was giving it all this about oh I want my players to think I want them to take their time on the ball I want them to be intelligent and then he splurged as a British record transfer on Giancarlo Di Maria which was like hang on what um, so yeah one or two squad players, maybe.
1: Um... Yeah, but I, I mean, I think the other thing to, to mention in terms of Aguero is a Balsa, for whatever for whatever reason, played him horrendously out of position, in, in my opinion. And for me, in that four-two-three-one, mm. it's Higuain or Aguero.
0: Okay, you, you player him as a number nine rather than as the. I mean, yeah. it, he, he's not. He wasn't really a number ten anyway. Of course, he was. He was a second striker, but. If you're gonna play him there, then you wanna make it a, more of a four four two and have it Yeah, on. I want
1: him on the last defender like and just looking for that burst of acceleration away from the last defender yeah. and that little bit of space in the penalty box. That's mm. what I want him to do. I don't want him linking up play. I don't want him doing any of that job that he's supposed to be that Bowser wanted him to do. So
0: Who would uh, you have doing that?
1: Well, I would have put Diabella there.
0: Okay, because under Belsa in four matches so far we've had Dybala there and then after Dybala got sent off we had against Uruguay, I'm trying to remember I was out of the game God, this is embarrassing I don't think they really put anybody in the position, did they? They had, uh, oh no, they they shifted to more of a flat midfield and then he put Alario on the right wing later on um, with Messi up front on his own Against Venezuela, it was Banega yeah, which didn't work at all. No. I think Benega was just played too far up the pitch, basically, against um, Peru last Thursday. That was Di Bella, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, yeah. no, because no, he was on the right. It was uh, that was Aguero. Was it? He played both games in the same position. Didn't he? Let's bring this up here.
0: Oh, no, you're quite right. It was yeah, yeah with Di Bella on the right wing. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I think that, and that's the problem for um, me, that he played. I said at the very start, felt mm. as though didn't learn from the fact that it was a horrendous failure in the first game and just tried it again against uh Paraguay. Yeah. Um I wanted to ask as well,
0: Peter, because on after the Peru game I I put this to some of my Twitter followers and, and you know suggested a suggest a club side and, and, and the system that they're using at the moment, but the club side system so that we can get more than just a formation. Because I think that with the current Argentina team, you'd have quite a few options if you went with something like um, River Plate's current 4-2-2-2. Yeah, yeah. With, with that sort of magic rectangle to deeper-lying defensive midfielders like, say, Cranavita and, and, I guess, Banega. Um, and then you'd have Messi and... Well, probably Messi and Dybala behind Higuain and... Well, I'd say Alario because I'm a river sympathiser, but Higuain <laughs> and or Iguain and Icardi or whatever, if yeah, you can yeah. get Icardi into the team... Uh, or or uh, Vieto or whoever, um, and I was wondering what 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 you thought like what what would be a, a good system in your mind. Obviously, this is not a system that Edgardo Elba is going to go for. Um, but if you were made Argentina manager tomorrow, and you didn't want to sabotage them because you're English, uh,
1: no, I mean I certainly wouldn't do that. But um, no, I mean like your four two 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 sounds workable. Um, I do think. The difficulty with with Bowser's preferred option is is that number ten role because
0: there isn't anybody who really fit. I mean, okay, Messi can play it, but it's arguably Messi's not his the only one. Best who, role. Messi's
1: the only one who I would say I'd be comfortable that yeah. he's so good he could play as as that playmaker because unfortunately we're we're seeing a, a lack of natural playmakers mm. coming through. Um, I mean but, maybe
0: in a couple of years time maybe Lo so yeah exactly Cereby, yeah
1: um Lo Celso right seems now. to be the one for me that you look at and think yeah, yeah he could be but I mean I'm not suggesting he starts as Argentina's number 10 at this moment mm. um another one who could benefit from being around and being around the team and absolutely yeah uh yeah so and that's the thing about if Bows is so rigid that he has to stick to this 4231 it, it does Somewhat limits options because I don't know if the players are necessarily there for it to work. I think you you said you're four four you're four two 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 or a four so yeah, three three or yeah and like I think a four three so is
0: anything apart from the system that's currently in use
1: um, yeah, I think a four three three previously worked better mm-hmm. um, but I mean uh, it always seems to come down to the midfield seems to be the the problem of finding the balance between as I said before defensive midfield players and people who are a bit too attacking to be trusted in a three-man midfield. Yeah, That's the balance that someone needs to be able to find.
0: It is indeed. Um, We will refill our glasses. Oh yeah, 35 minutes, that's just perfect. Uh, So we're going to refill our glasses um, now and when we come back after the break we will run over the rest of the world cup qualifiers i think more from a having watched them for pleasure um sense than than a real analysis and we will answer some listeners questions as well so don't go anywhere qualifying double headers or uh, matches of the double header um, well let's see if we can remember Thursday first of all uh, Ecuador beat Chile what's going on with Chile they're shit well, really really <laughs> shit in spite of the fact that they um, recovered somewhat and got a 2-1 win over Peru in the Clásico de los Andes last night um, that was largely thanks to an absolutely magnificent individual performance from Arturo Vidal who scored both of Chile's goals. Um, I think that the three nil over uh, the three nil defeat to Ecuador seems to be a more accurate reflection of, of how good they are at the moment. I mean, if Argentina are having problems.
1: Yeah, they're in real trouble. I mean, the win last night was almost even at fairly early stage you'd you'd argue we sort of saved their qualification campaign. Mm. I mean, had they not one, and the gap would have opened up to sort of five or six points to fifth. You'd have thought, you know what, I, I don't actually think Chile are going to. Yeah, with, with eight points to go. Um, now they've, they've given themselves a shot, but I mean, still need a drastic improvement, like you say, you can't be relying on Vidal.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Um, it was encouraging for Ecuador, so Ecuador in this double, actually, having said that we'll try and do Thursday and then Friday, I think it makes more sense just mm-hmm. to just do sort of each team, um, both matches. Um, Ecuador, as we said last month, won the first four World Cup qualifiers and then didn't win any of the next four. They, so their record after eight games was 1-4, drawn one, lost three. Um, they got a win and a draw this time round, So it looks like they've picked themselves up, got back on track. Um, the Valencia brothers were very good against Chile. Ener and Antonio, uh, I'm aware they're not brothers, please don't write in, um, Antonio opened the scoring, in fact, and Ener hit the post or crossbar, didn't he, at one point, or had a couple of very near misses. Um, but obviously the, the the main story, which you will all know already, uh, is that Ener Valencia tried to escape from the police by faking injury and going to hospital in an ambulance um, after being substituted off only to then later discover that a deal had been cut already, which meant he needn't have done it. Um, But there was quite an amusing video on Twitter of a bunch of armed policemen chasing the stretcher towards the ambulance when they realised what was happening, and obviously they hadn't heard of the deal being cut either. Um, That's over unpaid uh, um, child support payments, incidentally. It's not over drug running or domestic violence or anything. Um, I mean, it still makes him a bit of a twat, don't get me wrong, but it's not, um, let's say, a, a... I can't really say anything that's not going to make me (laughs) sound like a twat
1: as well. So I'm just going to shut up. He has released a rather lengthy statement explaining his his role in not His
0: point of view. of uh, His (laughs) excuse. Um, Uruguay got a 3-0 win over Venezuela on Thursday which was imperious. Uh, Nicolás Lodeiro with a header and Edinson Cavani with two goals. So crap for his club. But unlike Ángel Di Maria... Um, rather good for his country Cabani um, Uruguay then yesterday June. got a 1-1 one, one draw yeah I think you're right against uh, oh no they didn't they um, yeah with Colombia that's right 2-2 two, two, yeah, two, yeah. two draw sorry right. away to Colombia um, with uh, Independiente man Cebosha Rodriguez mm. as I, I believe Ceboche is now his official first name to judge from the reaction on Twitter after that goal I was trying to remember how to spell Christian and was hoping somebody would tweet it, but everybody was just. I just find in the Sebastian.
1: Independiente it's so much easier because it's, well, we've lost one Rodriguez, but previously yeah. had three or Indeed. four Uruguayan Rodriguez.
0: And uh, Luis Suarez, that match yesterday involved three-headed goals, which is. Um, was it well, for South America,
1: although not for you, Uruguay. No, 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 it's yeah.
0: But it's not what you expect from um, a South American or oh. South American game. Um, but yeah Uruguay as a result of dropping points against Colombia have dropped to second in the qualifiers but they still look very good they're also the only team to have won all of their home games I think they've played yeah. 5-1-5 in the Centenario now and I don't think they've conceded either yet. Um, Paraguay obviously um, as we said earlier lost to Colombia and then beat Argentina so a mixed um, double header for them I think they're still in about 7th or 8th so they
1: which, no, they're just uh oh, they be f- They're just below Argentina, sixth. They're sixth. Yeah, a point behind now.
0: Oh, look at that. That shows how much attention I was paying to the tables last night. Yes, you're quite right. Um, we will go through the table in full once we've finished this little roundup. Edwin Cardona's got a very coolly taken in the nineteenth minute. Um, and I think it was Colombia's first away win over Paraguay in like three or four qualifying cycles or something. Mm. Either that or they hadn't lost in Asuncion in three or four and, and that was it, it, it was some. There was some kind of uh, run that it either stopped or kept. I think
1: up. I read that. No, it was the reverse that they were always very good in Paraguay.
0: Ah, right, okay. And this, this, this kept the run going. Yeah, random. I, think, I okay. think, yeah. Um. And then Brazil. Obviously, we've spoken about Peru Argentina already, but Brazil v Bolivia was okay. Admittedly, that's um. You know, even under Dunga, we would have expected that to be a one-sided game, but. Uh, now that Diet has taken charge of Brazil, they look—they look like what Nike would like us to believe Brazil are again. Um, four goals in the first half, one in the second half, in which they notably took their feet off the off the yeah, accelerator. Um, obviously, it's Bolivia at sea level, to a, so to some extent you can only be so impressed with it. But even so, it, it was—it uh, was impressive stuff.
1: Yeah, and Neymar picked up a booking, so he missed. Um the game yesterday.
0: He did, in order to be uh, available yeah. for the next match, which is, of course, at home to Argentina in Belo Horizonte in a month's time. Um, the goals came from Neymar, Philippe Coutinho, Felipe Luis, Gabriel Jesus, and Roberto Firmino. And on uh, Tuesday night, Gabriel Jesus got another one very, very early on, and it was rather lovely. Admittedly, it was gifted to him by the Venezuelan goalkeeper whose clearance just went. Straight turn, but then Gabriel Gaby goal um, with a perfectly weighted lob, and they beat Venezuela 2 0 away from home. Mm-hmm. I can't, uh, was it Firmino got the other one? I think it was no, William, was it? I that's it. A... Oh, yeah, William. I yeah. thought it was Firmino. Well done. Um, on Tuesday, Bolivia 2, Ecuador 2, and Colombia 2, Uruguay 2, both very enjoyable indeed. Bolivia, there's not really very much to say. Crap, we knew this already, but um, the interesting thing for me with, with, with that one was less the sort of actual level of performance of either of the teams, as the fact that having finally arrested that slide of four games without a win, Ecuador then fell 2 0 down away to Bolivia. Which you know, for any other team on the continent, going 2 0 down at half time away to Bolivia is like, what can we possibly do? We're at altitude. Ecuador played their home games at Quito, um. So it's going to affect them less than anybody else having to play in La Paz. And in fact, there's something like, I think with this draw that they eventually got, they're now four games unbeaten away to Bolivia. Mm. Um, the previous record, I think they'd, they'd either won three in a row or they had two wins and one draw from their previous three visits to La Paz. Um, so that you know the first half was atrocious. T- two really nicely taken goals from Pablo Escobar. Who um, I
1: think I read was like... The first one
0: was an absolute the oldest looter...
1: Goal scorer?
0: Yes, the oldest goal scorer in, certainly in South American World Cup yeah. qualifying history, and I think possibly in in, um, in all of World Cup qualifying history now. Um, no, both goals were... Yes, yeah, I mean, the first track. one was, was from 20, 25 yards, and the second one was from inside the box, but still a sort of burst onto the ball and then absolutely rifled it into the top corner. Um, by the time the second half kicked off, I was concentrating on Colombia-Uruguay, so I actually missed both of Eno Valencia's goals. Um, Oh no, the first one of those was a tap in. I didn't, I didn't catch the second one. Um, I just saw them. But a very the
1: mini screen. During yeah, exactly. The... <laughs> that,
0: that's why. Uh, so I had Colombia Uruguay on the TV and was watching Bolivia Ecuador on them. Um, Sports plays internet stream. So I was sort of not fully concentrating on it. But it was a the character that Ecuador showed to come down from two 0 down at halftime to actually get that draw suggests to me that they are going to be okay in in qualifying overall after for those last four games, as we said, sort of really looking like they were in
1: trouble, even though they won the first four.
0: Yeah, they look in pretty
1: good shape when you, mm. when you think about how many points are probably going to be needed.
0: Because it's a very tight group and everyone's taking points off everyone else. Yeah. exactly. They, they're not that far away from uh, guaranteeing their place. Colombia v. Uruguay, we have already talked about. Uh, Chile got that 2-1 win against Peru, thanks to Arturo Vidal's majestic performance. Um, but are still some way off the pace and that um, that win as, as uh, our friend Adam Brandon put it on Twitter afterwards saved Pizzi's job for now probably but might cost Chile more in the long run by virtue of having saved yeah. Pizzi's job for now um, it's really weird how Chile have looked awful in, in World Cup qualifying you know since well 13 months ago when World Cup qualifying started and yet managed to pick themselves up and deservedly win the Copa America Centenario in the middle of it and then went straight back to being crappy yeah um it's very confusing. Peru on the other hand are not all that good. Sorry, Peruvian listeners, but um it it's true. Um, well, I me- I saw and it underlines
1: how disappointing Argentina's performance was on Thursday. Bemoaning the fact that the the drop in their performance from mm. the game against Argentina on Thursday to, to last night. Indeed. Um, well, um I, I did, I actually there. did uh, did you see um some of the talk on the TV here, I don't know whether it was on say or ESPN. Pocho, whatever channel Pocho in your Fox aren't. Sports. Fox Sports. The other one. The other one. Did you see after the Peru game how they were talking about um, Paolo Guerrero, saying if he wasn't from Peru, mm. he would be playing for Barcelona overall. Well, there's something to be said for it, I think. Um, said if he was from Argentina or Uruguay. He'd his, be playing at one of the top teams. I mean,
0: his international league. goal scoring record is yeah. ridiculous. He's uh, the all time top goal scoring Copa America, if we count the Copa Centenario mm-hmm. the, the, the Centenarios as, a, as a Copa America. Um, and, yeah.
1: I, mean, yeah, and he bullied, I, he, I don't see why not. And he bullied um, Argentina on Thursday night as well, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was he gave, very impressive. Um, For and Otto a hell of a difficult night.
0: And speaking of center who to set international records, uh, Luis Suarez's goal against Colombia last night um, meant that he has drawn level on 19 um, goals with Hernán Crespo as the joint all-time top goalscorer in South American World Cup qualifying history. Um, Crespo did it in rather fewer matches, it has to be said, because obviously we're an Argentine football podcast, so we want to stick up for our own. Um, But Suarez's uh, next goal will see him claim the record outright. So, although we don't like to say it because he's a bitey little racist. (laughs) Well done, Luis Suarez. through gritted teeth. Teeth being uh, the main uh, thing (laughs) he likes, of course. Uh, What does this do for the standings? Please don't write it, Liverpool fans. It was a joke. Um, What does this do for the standings? Uh, It means that Brazil are top after 10 games. As we say, there are eight games left. Um, with 21 points Uruguay second on 20 Ecuador and Colombia both have 17 Argentina are in 5th place which just to remind you is the playoff um, position with 16 points so for all of this bemoaning their poor form and everything they are only 5 points off the lead uh, and only 1 point off the 2 teams immediately above them in the automatic qualification spot one of whom they're going to play in the next doubleheader Paraguay in 6th place on 15 points, 1 point behind Argentina. Chile in 7th on 14 points, which is 2 points behind Argentina. And then there's something of a gap to Peru and Bolivia, who both have 8 points. Um, And Venezuela, uh, I suspect they're not going to qualify. They have 2 points from 10 matches. So mathematically... Not out of it yet. They're 14 points behind Argentina with 8 times 3, which is 26, isn't it? Um, left to play for. 24, sorry. Yeah, 8 times 2 is 16 and then you have another 8 is 24. Um, so they're not out of it yet. Indeed, they could still finish top if Brazil <laughs> and everybody else really shit the bed spectacularly. Um, but it probably won't happen, unfortunately. Um, but, I mean, it is tight. There are 7 points between 1st and 7th, which is...
1: Yeah, I think November's round of fixtures is going to (laughs) really open things up. um, And we'll have
0: a look at who that is now. So in 11, uh, for round 11, sorry, um, we have, this is in roughly a month's time, Colombia hosts Chile. Um, That's another one which, again, if Chile lose, then it could be curtains. But um, the win against uh, Peru yesterday is, is, is going to have helped them somewhat. Uh, Paraguay versus Peru. Brazil versus Argentina in Belo Horizonte. Uruguay against Ecuador, which could get interesting. They're three points apart, aren't they? Yeah, three points apart in the table. Um, Uruguay, as we say, have that terrifying home record, but Ecuador now they've picked themselves up. You never know. Um, Venezuela against Bolivia in the Battle of the Bottom feeders, quite frankly. Um, And then for round 12... Which is the will be the Tuesday games of that doubleheader? Argentina host Colombia. That one, unfortunately, is in San Juan, which means that we won't be going. I mean, I might be if SPN offer me expenses again to go over there, but um, it's quite a trip. Peru are at home to Brazil. Chile against Uruguay is, I think, probably apart from Argentina, Colombia. That's, that, that looks like the tie of the round to me. Ecuador host Venezuela and Bolivia host Paraguay. Um, So one or two fixtures that could either see the group get even tighter or seriously open things up and and see a couple of teams or or three or four teams even start to pull away. really. And again, really crucial for Argentina. I mean, we said, I said with Andres and Dan last week that that this double header that we've just had was going to be do or die because of the fact that this next one coming up is away to Brazil, at home to Colombia, Mm. seriously difficult opponents. They really had to get... Six points to be going into this double header the next month with any kind of confidence, and they got one.
1: Yeah, I think the two teams that we've mentioned about kind of being under pressure. You look at those two, the next two fixtures being for Argentina and Chile, and you think, well, don't be surprised if one or both of those managers are in no, it's not, yeah, really deep trouble because totally. I mean. If you look at the other games, Argent- Paraguay have got some winnable matches. Um, Argentina could find themselves down in seventh potentially <laughs> if they don't get good results yeah. from two difficult games, and, and equally Chile, as you said, could could find their qualification all but over. So
0: Argentina overall, as well as as we've just said, in the next double header, visiting Brazil and then uh, being at home to Colombia, their following fixtures after that, the ones that will close out the group, are at home to Chile and away to Bolivia in that'll be March, I think, won't it? Um, away to Uruguay, followed by a home game against Venezuela, which would be in I'm guessing May or June, and then uh, home to Peru and away to Ecuador um, in the last one. I mean, this of course is the first load of World Cup qualifiers that uh, have deviated from the previous set in stone, always the same order of fixtures, which always saw Argentina visiting Montevideo on the last um, on on the last uh, round of fixtures when quite frequently you would have a situation where Argentina might need a point and Uruguay needed a point to assure either the playoffs mm. or vice versa. Argentina need a point to assure the playoffs and Uruguay need a point to um, to get over the line. And lo and behold, a draw would materialise. Certainly, if you ask any Colombians about this, then they, they remember very, very well. Um, I think it was the 2002 qualifiers um, when they engineered to basically not allow Colombia into the World Cup. Um, a, a trip to Ecuador in in the situation that Ecuador could very well be in if they continue to you know they could pick themselves up or they, they, they might continue to be a little bit iffy um, and only pick up enough points so they're not quite over the line for that going away to Quito is not a pleasant situation to be in if Argentina need to say get a win yeah exactly um, so it's all still to play for you could get a little bit too doom and gloomy and indeed some of the Argentine media today have I think gone a little bit too doom and gloomy. There are still eight matches to go. Um, but it's an interesting position and it's only going to get more interesting from here in. And now, we're going to answer some listeners' questions. Here we go. Darren Paul says... first Oh, no, he doesn't. That's not a of question. Sorry. Um, Blonde Messi tweeted uh, uh, Peter and I last night to ask what position Argentina are in now, which we've um, already answered by reading those out. So they're fifth. Uh, Tariq Al Haidar says... Boussa wants to use 4-2-3-1 and remain loyal to the old guard which Tariq um, defines as Sabaletto, Rojo Demichelis etc why misuse Agüero as a number 10 just to play him well oh, I mean, exactly. basically what you said earlier yeah, um, yeah. I think I just. yeah I mean we agree essentially Tariq you need to as Peter said either go with sort of two up front um, or use use Agüero as the, the main the main man and, yeah. and drop Iguain or Prato Olari, or whoever else you think you're playing in number nine
1: or not used 4 2, 3, one but the combination mm. of all of them together is what we saw in the last two games which is utterly horrendous
0: <laughs> indeed uh, Neil with two hells says how do Argentina stack up without Messi mm. badly me. yeah. um, and, and they have to concentrate on stacking up properly without Messi even if Messi is available next time because that's going to be good for everybody <laughs> you would think although nobody seems very interested in um, well Nobody around the team would appear to be uh, massively interested in, um, in in ensuring that they do. Darren Paul says, "What are your favourite kits in Argentine football this season?" Tacheres have a classy home kit. Ferros and Rassing's away stripes are lovely. He had to get Rassing in. There at some point. <laughs> Peter, your favourite kits this season? Uh, well, I really like the the River one, uh, the the change River kit with uh, that the they black did for Alonso one. the other day. The black one with the the white stripe They're on like the. red no, stripe. I
1: like. Come
0: um, on, for, sorry, yeah, for Bruna The Alonso one was the the orange one a couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, no, I was
1: gonna I was gonna mention that because I when it the day it was released, I tweeted a, a picture of it. Mm. I was just inundated with people from I have to say across well, the world going, "Oh, wow, that's a beautiful."
0: Yeah, I, I have to say as well that um, the Bocker ones I think <laughs> are very close to being really nice, but why they have the sponsor underneath?
1: Yeah, that, the mean, band.
0: I mean, obviously, ideally, you wouldn't have a sponsor on it at all. But if you, the fact that the placement of the sponsor seems to ruin the aesthetic, what they've basically done, in case you've not seen them, listeners, is they've, they've moved on the home kit. They've moved the yellow band up to sort of the chest, um, and it looks quite nice. Except they've got the BBVA logo underneath that, sort of, so not in the position it would normally be, the centre of the chest, but just sort of on the. Well, where a lot of fans are going to have a beer gut or whatever, <laughs> basically.
1: Um, others. Uh I'm to picture them now. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the, the problem with Ashton was the the, the big teams, them anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I have about three kits a year. So yeah. kind of um, struggle with who has a nice kit and who doesn't. Indeed. Oh, the, the new Newell's.
0: Um... Oh, Newell's one's nice. Newell's yeah.
1: is always pretty nice, anyway. But I think Adidas did a pretty good job of uh, their new one that they just did the other week. It's very like simple and yeah. Um, I always like that anyway, the half black and red uh, isn't...
0: And similarly, Colon as well, but they do sometimes manage to screw that one up. Yeah, um, Yeah, and I mean, I, I like defensive year as well, but that's just because I, I like the colour combination. Green yeah, and yellow, yeah, is, yeah. it's difficult to completely screw up. Um, Darren also asked, what's the word of the week this week? Don't think we've got a fracasso, maybe. That would be fitting. I mean, big failure... Um, and he says, Did Veron deck Maradona as he would probably be right to do after Diego got on one? Uh, Pisa, you, you caught more of this than I did because I was uh, frantically typing all afternoon on, on various things. So um, fill me in. With no, no I, mean,
1: I didn't it. actually watch the game. Here uh, no, well, it, it right, is I mean, on TV at the moment. No, I know. um, my, my knowledge of it was basically the fact that the, the instant from the, the aptly named. Peace match was yeah. um, Diego getting into a little uh, fracas with with Veron,
0: so they were on opposite teams clearly, and yeah, they um, were, yeah. there was a video of <laughs> them God. sort of just <laughs> arguing with each other nonstop uh, as they were leaving the pitch, basically, and we've just seen Maradona well either taking a dive or
1: falling over, possibly I'm not sure which. Um, I kind of see his son was playing as well, yes, the one that he. Like, basically... The one that he's
0: just recently... <laughs> the one I've met, and he's just recently
1: recognised, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of this match, really. It just seems to be a kind you of an excuse for Maradona to... It's a charity to- uh, match, Peter. Uh, yeah, I know, but... Have a heart. Which is great, but in that case, just can someone have a word with Diego and say, <laughs> can we not make this about just you? Because <laughs> last time you had a massive problem with Mauro McCarthy playing. This time you've managed to have a little... Problem on on the field, yeah. Right
0: and also having a massive problem with Maradon Ricardy playing because Maradon Riccardi is a young man who's made a couple of you know young man style choices in his personal life. Is a bit rich when in this match he's just <laughs> playing with his son for like the second time ever, having refused to recognise him for the first thirty one years of his life. And countless um, other
1: misdemeanors. Which I mean, if there's if there's one player in the world who probably can't get can't on moral yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Um, Darren finally asks, who are the top keepers in the top flight?
1: Hmm. Uh, let me see, who who do we have?
0: This is what happens when we don't bother researching, <laughs> um, a, uh, question beforehand. I mean, Estudiantes haven't conceded a goal yet. Yeah, they've I mean, looked good. I'm going to remind myself now of who they' goalkeeper
1: you know, Uh Which I think was one is of the best... Yeah. Oh, yeah, Of course it is, yeah. Which was one of the best bits of business that Stu student did this summer by making that deal permanent. Yeah. Um, it has undoubtedly helped them. So, I, I mean...
0: Having said earlier that we didn't think he should be in the national team. I
1: I would qualify by saying he's been absolutely brilliant this season. But yeah. with my earlier point of looking forward... Is he the backup to the Argentina goalkeeper who himself doesn't play much club for
0: Mm. for me?
1: No. Um,
0: The other team who haven't yet conceded uh, in this um, uh, championship are Colón. And Jorge Brón is their goalkeeper, who I can remember pulling off one or two decent saves. But I think that really uh, Colón's good defensive record owes I mean, not that Estudiantes doesn't, but um, Colón's good defensive record so far owes uh, quite a bit to A, not having really played anybody particularly difficult yet, and B, to the defenders doing very well.
1: Yeah, and Montero coming in as a defender and obviously drilling the team, having it set up very defensively, and the the number one target is let's keep a clean sheet and if we can nick anything else, then that's a bonus. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's how they've managed it. Precisely. Um, I think elsewhere,
0: I mean, I mean, per- personally, Augusto Batasha given, and I'm not nominating him as, as the best, but I, I've been sort of pleasantly surprised with him, given A, how young he is, oh. and B, the size of the uh, gloves that he had to, to fill when um, Baro uh obviously left River. And um, almost immediately, Gachardo said that Batascha is going to be our first choice. Um, and so far, I mean, he's made a couple of mistakes, but he's, 20 or 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. I, mean.
1: yeah. I would um, mention Batasha in this conversation on the basis of how young mm-hmm. he is, the status of the club he's playing at, and he has performed pretty well. And he's mm-hmm. also of a very high kind of youth team pedigree. I mean, th- this is a guy who I think in the national team setup they will be looking at thinking this is a yep. guy who could well be Argentina number one. So yeah. he hasn't done anything which makes you think. Argentina have really dropped a bollock by, by thinking this guy's any good. Mm. Um, yeah, no, and Equally, I think, um, from obviously watching Independiente every week, we've we really impressed with Campania since he came in. Of
0: course, yeah, because Independiente's defences, I mean, they have conceded one now. Um, two now. But it took a long two. time. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and
1: every time, um, well, he, yeah, Campagna didn't play in one of those games. But every time he plays, he does impress with And with Reasonably young as well, no. Yeah, you're in Goalkeeping standards. Oh no, I realise he's not Argentine. Yeah, I'm just saying he's. Yeah, I don't know if that was the point of whether no. we were looking at. But yeah, 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 he's relatively young. And obviously, Goat is in the um, Uruguay squad. He's, I think second or third choice, but he's always off on international duty, not
0: And also, less maybe not so much this season specifically, but. Um, in general, we're currently looking at Lanús Stadium on the television because San Lorenzo and Godoy Cruz are about to play there in the Copa Argentina. Stay tuned after the final whistle um, of the podcast and I'll give you the score after the final whistle of that game. Um, but Fernando Manetti just is a very talented goalkeeper. Um, and in fact, I think arguably Lanús' most consistent performer so far, given the problems that Lanús have had since that 1-0 win over Boca on the opening weekend. We're going to race through Yeah, this. I, mean, I think
1: the thing about Manetti, just, he's, like, he's always got that howler in him. <laughs> like, like, like I think during the trap when they won the league mm. he was brilliant and I think that was speaking to some Lanus fans and just sort of watching them, I sort of feel like the transition was the perfect tournament for them. Everything just clicked into place. Pepe San banging the girls in. Yeah. Uh Monetti had a almost flawless tournament and everything just clicked. Um but since then and, and prior to that, with when he was at Lanus, there's been some hiccups. Mm.
0: Uh, And Darren's other question was, if you could promote one league player to the national team, who and why? So only one. Uh, I think I'm going to go with... I mean, he's already there, but Emmanuel Mass, um, because of the problems that you were picking out earlier, Peter, with with the left-back spot. Um, To the team. or On the other hand, if we're going for a player who's not already in the national team, um, then I will say... Uh, Jonathan Maidana. Again, no, the I mean, reason that you a, pointed out earlier that he was called into the squad at late notice this time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, the defence is the position anyway where anyone from the... Lo- anyone from the Argentinian league is likely to be called up. So you are looking at Maidana, uh, Cuesta, um, you know, Mass, mm. Tagliafico, these type... These group of players... Um, and obviously my my bias <laughs> leans me one way but um, yeah I mean other than that like the players I mentioned earlier with young players who would benefit from being involved who, who seem yeah. to have a future like Rochelle so ask us about those are the, the players that I would mention
0: yeah uh, La Liga Gav asks WTF is wrong with Argentina hopefully we've answered that one already because it was the focus of the first half of the podcast um, Rich says what is Maradona's <laughs> problem with Beron we don't really know what Maradona's problem with Veron is. I think the better question might be what's Maradona's problem with Maradona. Um, and that's a question that you really have to uh, go years and years back and that we don't have the time to answer. I really apologise for whipping over those last two like that. But um, I'm in a bit of a rush because in ten minutes I have to record a, uh, or rather be, be on the radio. Um, and I have to let Peter out first. So before I do, uh, I'm now going to play some Mystic theme music. And this week's predictions are coming to you courtesy of Mystic... Peter, because I completely forgot to ask any <laughs> listeners to uh, when they wanted to do their own. So here we go. Okay, here are Mystic Peter's predictions for this weekend.
1: Uh, okay, Belgrano against Aldosivi. Um, Belgrano to win. Belez at uh, home to Colón. Belez. Did I say that? Oh, yeah, Belez to win. Um, Atletico <laughs> Rafaela against Racing. Hang on a second. No, these are cannot.
0: I, I can change these ones that you put if you want, Peter.
1: I think I must have dropped one down here. Okay. So you're going for one. I've Belez definitely... Colón a draw. Yeah, that must be.
0: And Atletico v Racing is a home win, obviously.
1: There's an away win.
0: Or that's the home
1: win, I said. Okay.
0: Estudiantes against Rosario a draw. Central. Draw. Ah, oh. Okay, so that's where we are now, I think. So, so now gonna... San Martín versus Tacheres de Córdoba is... A home win. A home win. Independiente versus Atletico. A home one. win. Lanús against Godoy Cruz. Draw. Interesting. Olimpo versus Tigre is going to be... Draw.
1: Uh, Bocca home versus Sarmiento. Home win. For, you, I'll let you say the matches again now, Peter. Oh, sorry, Rick. We're still going. Um, so we're on to Newell's you Newell's Gymnasia home win. Okay. Uh, Arsenal, San Lorenzo, away win. Uh, Patronato River, away win. And Union, Kilmer's home win. Love this stuff. Sorry, i
0: For wait, people wondering what was the confusion there, then. Peter, Rum just wrote out a series of 1s, Xs and 2s um, next to the uh, fixture list during our halftime break and um, it would appear they hit one too many at some point and, and confuse things a bit let me just check that we've got 15 there 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 14 oh dear um, <laughs> Peter has predicted apparently only 14 of, of the matches but uh, we will um, I will sort something <laughs> other out and if he has missed one of them then I'll email it, it to him and I'll stick best. it up on the blog or something um, the main thing is I have a record of the ones you have predicted so that's okay For um, now dear listeners it's time for me to uh, kick Peter out onto the street so that I can get back up in time to um, watch San Lorenzo vs. Godoy Cruz and also to be on this uh, other radio show which I will already have been on by the time you Hear this, which is why I'm not bothering to plug it. Um, thank you very much for listening. Indeed, please come back next week when we promise to be slightly more professional with our mystical predictions. Um, and I will let you know how many of Peter's apparently only 14 he got. Did you do? Yeah, you, you did that. Independiente against that, they got to command, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought I had all of them, but apparently not. Don't
0: know what's happened there. Anyway, um, dear listeners, thank you very much. And goodbye from Peter. Goodbye. And from me, goodbye. (laughs) And uh, just um, after the theme music, but before the game, uh, Peter is still here and we have just managed to confirm that the match that we managed to miss off was Belgrano against Aldo Civi, for which Peter is going for?
1: A home win. A
0: home win. Definitely, so put your money on that. After all of that fuss, (laughs) you'd better be right with it. Goodbye. (laughs) In La San Lorenzo uh, got a very comfortable win in the end 3 1 against Godoy Cruz in a match that started off at a frantic pace and are through to the quarter final of the Copa Argentina.